today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Now there's just something to be said about a man who knows that he's walking in purity and he's walking in integrity. Because see, if I'm compromised in my own life, then I can't and I have no right to rebuke, let alone restore another brother. Because I have that log in my eye, Jesus would say, and I'm rebuking them because they have a speck in theirs. I can't. I have no credibility. I have no authenticity. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. As followers of Jesus, we're called to speak truth and to challenge fellow believers to live the life Jesus called us to. However, as Pastor J.D. points out, we must be careful to walk with integrity and strive to free ourselves from sin. For if we're living in intentional sin, how can we minister to others and encourage them to a higher standard of living? Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. So, really looking forward to resuming our study in the book of Nehemiah tonight. We're going to take and tackle, Lord willing, two chapters Chapters 5 and 6, it's been three weeks since we were in Nehemiah, so probably be a good thing if I did a real quick recap of what's happened up to this point and kind of give you the backstory so we could hit the ground running. Three weeks ago, we finished chapter 4, interesting chapter. It actually ties into chapters 5 and 6 tonight, and the reason being is that Really, chapters 4 through 6 are great go-to chapters when it comes to identifying the tactics of the enemy. The enemy is always all about trying to seek to devour and destroy us, and we see that play out here with Nehemiah and how the enemy uses these guys as opposition. Whenever God calls you to a work, whenever God has you do anything to further his kingdom. You've got to know that the enemy is going to be right there to do everything and anything. And the devices of, of the enemy are such that the Apostle Paul would say to the Corinthian church, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. The devil is very cunning. He is very clever, for lack of a better word, and we're going to see really how he tries to destroy and derail the work of God. In chapter 4, we saw a couple of the ways the enemy uses, and one of them is mocking. He uses mocking and ridicule, and we even saw that the enemy will resort to threats of force and violence. Again, he'll stop at nothing to try to discourage God's people when it comes to the work of God and the calling that God has on our lives. Here in chapter 5, it gets kind of interesting. We turn a corner and see how that God's people basically do the devil's job for him. 
They are now sort of turning on each other, attacking each other, and the devil has succeeded basically in trying to get them from within to actually destroy that which he's really unable to do from without. One of the things that I've seen over the years in ministry is that, and even in my own personal walk with the Lord, is that if there's any unresolved sin or carnality, whether it be in the life of a Christian or in the life of a church, spiritual warfare has a way of bringing it to the surface. Spiritual warfare has a way of exposing the carnality that has taken up residence in the life of a Christian or in the life of a church. And this is what we're about to see. Such was the case with the Jewish brethren. They were sinning against each other. They were taking advantage of each other. They were turning on each other. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1, And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. There were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, verse 3, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. So there's a famine in the midst of this rebuilding effort there in Jerusalem. Verse 4, there were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. They were so indebted, and the burden, even amongst God's people, and the interest rates were so heavy that in those days they didn't and weren't able to file bankruptcy. They actually had to take their children and sell them into slavery to satisfy the debt that they had incurred. Now, in verse 6, we're going to see what Nehemiah's response is to what was happening amongst God's people. You have to understand that it was actually God's people that were charging this exorbitant amount of interest on God's people. (laughs) These were the Jewish brethren that were doing this to their own Jewish brethren. Now, here's what Nehemiah responds with, verse 6, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And I love verse 7. I will talk about this. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. So what Nehemiah does here, or I guess maybe better said what 
he doesn't do here, thankfully, and I love this about Nehemiah, is he doesn't react in the emotion of the moment. Instead, we're told that he stops and considers, and he's angry, very angry. It's a righteous anger because of what was being done to God's people, by God's people. But he, we're told, takes serious thought. He just stops himself, controls himself, before he rebukes them. Now, I have to confess that this really searches me. It, it convicts me because of my own propensity to react in the emotion of the moment. How many times have I just reacted without doing what Nehemiah does here and just stop, say, okay, Lord, <laughs> I want to really think about what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do next before I say and do what I'm about to say and do next. Because wouldn't you agree that when you react in the emotion of the moment, it usually doesn't end well? It can start off as righteous anger, but we're told by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, you can be angry, but don't sin in your anger. There is such a thing called righteous anger, and that's what Nehemiah has here, but it can quickly deteriorate and descend from a righteous anger to an unrighteous anger. And I'll tell you, the adrenaline can... I know you know nothing of what I'm speaking of, (laughs) but I'm just talking about myself personally, how prone I am to, you know, just react. And you, in your anger, you say things you wish you wouldn't have said. You do things you wish you you didn't do. And um, I'm learning. I, I wish I could say I've learned, but... I am learning that there is that moment that God gives in just that, sometimes that millisecond of time where you can just really stop like Nehemiah does here and really consider and seriously think about it. And by the way, this is kind of true to form for Nehemiah. This is his MO. Remember when the king queried him? Very intense moment of time. Because depending on how Nehemiah would answer, it could have meant his death. Because your countenance as the (laughs) cupbearer to the king uh, can never be down. You're the cupbearer. And the king says, hey, why is your countenance so sad? And we're told that Nehemiah prayed in that very instant, Lord, how do I respond? What should I say? Because what I say right now can really determine... (laughs) what happens, and it could just really be a life changer and a game changer. And we're told that he prayed in just that instant, in that very moment, and God gave him the words to speak in that moment that were the right words. And so this is true to form when it comes to Nehemiah. But I think that we do err greatly when we forfeit that moment that God gives us. Sometimes it's a very short, maybe a couple few seconds where you just okay i had a phone conversation recently where i thought, i caught myself probably because i was preparing this study tonight in nehemiah chapter 5 but the lord just kind of caught me and i i know how quickly i can go there and i know you know what i'm talking about and the lord just kind of stopped me i said you know what i'm not going to go there 
And I didn't say what I normally would say, just kind of reacting uh, in the flesh. And instead, I just said, you know, I'm just going to kind of let it go. And oh, I tell you, I just, you know, in my spirit, I felt so good. There was no regrets. I've never regretted something I didn't say. Right? I never, I've never regretted an email I didn't send. And conversely, there are so many times where I've regretted, because once you push that send button, once it comes out, you can't get it back. (laughs) It's too late. You already said it. You already did it. You already sent it. And uh, I love what Nehemiah does here. Well, verse 9, then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Look what you're doing, guys. You're giving the enemies an opportunity to blaspheme our God because of what you're doing to your own people. This is unthinkable. I also, verse 10, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore. Now this is Nehemiah using his own funds to help the brethren out who were so indebted because of their Jewish brethren. He says, restore now to them, verse 11, even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Man, they had had to give all of that back? It had been repossessed? Yeah. And so Nehemiah says, you give it back to them. Also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So, verse 12, they said, we will restore it. Wow. (laughs) And we'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. He wants their word. And then, verse 13, interesting, I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. In other words, don't even think about reneging on what you just committed to and promised to do. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord, then the people did according to this promise. What a powerful leader. What a strong leader. What a good leader. What an effective leader. It's important to understand that what Nehemiah does here would have taken a lot of boldness. And the reason I say that is because these men that he's rebuking, they're the noblemen. These are the leaders. These are, if you will, the power brokers. These are very powerful men amongst the Jewish brethren. And here's Nehemiah with a spiritual spine that has the spiritual strength and the boldness to stand up to them and say to them, and nobody talks to them like this, but Nehemiah does. You can't do this. You can't do this. Exact usury from your own brethren. This ought not to be. And by the way, men, (laughs) 
I'm going to give them money and loan them money to help them out because of what you did to them. And Nehemiah, I guess you could say, is no respecter of persons. And this is what a strong leader needs to be. He's got to be able to rebuke God's people, especially when they're bringing reproach to God's name. I've heard it said this way, and I think this applies to us tonight. And I want you to think about this. Sometimes as Christians, we can be poor advertisements for Christianity. You understand what I mean by that? We really can be bad advertisers and bring reproach upon the name of the Lord by what we do, our actions and the way we treat each other. And by the way, make no mistake about it. This is very serious in the eyes of God. What did Jesus say? They're going to know you're my disciples. How? By how you treat one another, by how you love one another. Remember in 1 Corinthians 11, a very difficult passage of Scripture to teach for me personally, and I think for you as well, to be on the other end of. But the Apostle Paul is describing to the Corinthians how that the reason why they were getting sick and some of them were even dying in the Corinthian church was because of how they were treating other Christians, their brethren, concerning the communion table. They were getting drunk at the communion table. They were forming cliques. They were excluding people. And you have to understand in that day, the dynamic of the communion table and these love feasts that they had where they would have a potluck like we do. You have to understand that sometimes people were so impoverished in that day, that was the only meal that they would ever get to eat was at the love feast during the communion celebration at the church when they assembled together. And here's these rich people that are saying, you can't eat at our table. In fact, you can't eat at all. Paul's like, Why don't you, when you, want to, you want to drink? Go home and get drunk. You want to eat like that? Go home and eat like that. But the way you're treating other Christians is, is causing you, this is why you're sick. This is why you're ill. And this is why some of you are dying. You pose a threat and a danger to the body of Christ. My wife and I were talking about this this last week about how there are just some people who are so dangerous in the way they treat other Christians that God sometimes will just take them home. We'll see them in heaven. But if they pose a threat in the way that they treat their brethren, God takes that very seriously. If we're known by our love one for another as being his disciples, then wouldn't it stand to reason that if we treat each other unlovingly, unkindly, and we're even a danger to them, well then, how do you think God deals with that? This is a very serious matter. And when it comes to this, God's people are not about this. The God of Israel and the people of God are never to be about or have the mindset of every man for himself. And again, this is what was happening there in the Corinthian church. This holy boldness on the part of Nehemiah does, to me, beg the question of 
why it is and even how it is that he was able to do this. This is the right thing, but oftentimes the right thing is the hard thing. And to answer that question, I think that we need look no further than to Nehemiah's private life. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Nehemiah was uncompromising. Nehemiah was a man who had never compromised in his own integrity in his own life before the Lord. See, it's when we compromise in our own lives that we're stripped of that sanctified confidence to rebuke and restore others who have compromised in their own lives. When we get to Galatians chapter 6, which isn't going to be too uh, much longer, when we get to chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, you need to restore your brethren in humility, lest you yourself be tempted. Now there's just something to be said about a man who knows that he's walking in purity and he's walking in integrity. Because see, if I'm compromised in my own life, then I can't, and I have no right to rebuke, let alone restore another brother, because I have that log in my eye, Jesus would say, and I'm rebuking them because they have a speck in theirs. I can't. I have no credibility. I have no authenticity because I've already been compromised in my own life. And Nehemiah was uncompromising in his life. This was a man of God. Make no mistake about it. Nehemiah was a man of God. Verse 14, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate at the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people, which is why he wouldn't do that, and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because, and here's why, listen very carefully, because of the fear of God. You know what the fear of the Lord does and causes and is? The Proverbs tells us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And this is evil, what they were doing. And this is wisdom, what Nehemiah is doing. Indeed, verse 16, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. Could have, but he wouldn't. All my servants were gathered there for the work, And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared, verse 18, daily, was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine." Learning about the history of Israel brings us new insight into God's faithfulness and ability to use anyone and everyone to accomplish His purposes. We have a God who loves us more than we can imagine and who desires to have us join Him in spreading that love to every corner of the earth. One way in which we can have a great impact is through prayer. Here at In Spirit and Truth, we pray regularly for our listeners and we ask that you in turn would intercede for us. Please pray that we keep our focus on advancing God's kingdom and that our hearts would always be open to God's leading. Please join us in praying for those who will tune in to In Spirit and Truth. 
that they would be touched by God and turn their lives over to Him. Thanks for joining us in this way. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D., find us online at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click Listen at the top of the page. Pastor J.D. also has a convenient way for you to stay connected. Yes, I do, Josh. You can download the In Spirit and Truth mobile app on any device and listen anywhere, anytime. Our app includes our studies through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, as well as our Bible prophecy updates. Many are finding the mobile app to be very helpful in this fast-paced world in which we live. To find the link to our app, you can go to inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks, Pastor J.D. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us again for more from Nehemiah right here on In Spirit and Truth.